Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 114 of the Headspace and Timing podcast. Today, we're highlighting a great organization that's approaching veteran mental health and wellness in a unique way, Merging Vets and Players. The executive director of Merging Vets and Players, Jacob Toops, joins the show to talk about what the program is and how it supports both veterans and professional athletes. This combination is backed in evidence and research, too, which is really exciting. Like I've mentioned before, there's some really amazing stuff coming around physical activity and mental health and being in shape and reaching goals and like you know, doing all those amazing things. And I think that that transitions so nicely into just getting some peer support. You know, for us, it, it is like that undercurrent that's happening around like our program. The model is simple, but it's also so backed in very simplistic things that simplicity sometimes actually is efficiency and innovative um, and all the things that maybe both of these communities were missing. Before we get into my conversation with Jacob, I'd like to bring you a quick message from Dr. Barbara Van Dalen, founder and president of Given Hour, about an event that's coming up from June 9th to June 15th. I'm Dr. Barbara Van Dalen, founder and president of Given Hour and the Campaign to Change Direction. We want everyone to join us the second week of June for a week to change direction and the Change Direction Jam. Together, we're changing the culture of mental health. Events during the week can happen anywhere and everywhere. We're so excited to work with IBM to create this global discussion. Mark your calendar, register, and join us to Change Direction. Go to changedirection.org. That's changedirection.org to learn more. On the Headspace and Timing blog and podcast, we'll be joining Given Hour during that week. The podcast episode that week will be with Dr. Van Dalen, and that week's blog post is going to focus on the campaign to change direction. You know that it's our mission to change the way we think and talk about veteran mental health, and the campaign to change direction is doing exactly that. Make sure to check them out at changedirection.org. Welcome to the Headspace and Timing podcast, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes around veteran mental health. My name is Dwayne France, and I'm a retired Army non-commissioned officer and a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After retiring from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, then you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set correctly, however, it was just a useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing's not set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support service members, veterans, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Headspace and Timing podcast once again. And as always, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen and learn more about veteran mental health. Um, if you're a longtime listener, you know that we often have veterans 
mental health professionals, those who support veterans come on the show. Uh, and sometimes we have organizations that are working to make a difference in the post-military life of veterans and really focusing on the mental health and wellness, um, as well as, in today's case, the physical health and wellness of service members. Um, I'm really excited today to bring on Jacob Toops, who is the executive director of Merging Vets and Players, uh, and uh, we'll definitely get into that. But Jacob, welcome to the show. Hi, great to be on the show. Yeah, no, I'm really glad that uh, we were able to connect. Um, as I mentioned before we started recording, I'm uh, I'm a fan of uh, of MVP. I guess the word fan is appropriate here. Um, but I, I'm really encouraged in some of the stuff that you you've been doing. I watched MVP grow from, uh, or I've heard about him several years ago. I think when uh, when they were in Los Angeles, and then of course now in the different locations. Uh, so definitely want to talk about what MVP is doing. But before that, I want to give the audience a little bit an opportunity to hear more about you. Excellent. Um, so, you know, for, for me and, and the tie to this cause with uh, mental health with combat veterans and former athletes really started in my last job. My last job, um, I worked in an organization, a nonprofit called Up To Us Sports, and they were at the intersection of mental health uh, youth mentoring and physical activity. Um, and through those seven years that I worked with, um, up to a sports managing their LA office, um, I had a, a wonderful woman named Megan Bartlett who had designed a lot of the training internally. So what we were doing was we were hiring, um, you know, mostly young adults from 20 to 25. It was an AmeriCorps program. Uh, we were training them in about 50 hours of mental health content and mentoring content um, and sending them out into the field to be these sports coaches for underserved kids. And while that was really an important um, and sort of innovative way of, of changing the field of youth development was we were giving education to sports coaches around some basic psychology principles, right? So things like fight, flight, and freeze, and some other tools that uh, generally in the youth space, people who are running these youth programming don't have the tools uh, in place. And what that often leads to is miscommunication between the coach and the kids and what's really going on with the kids. You know, oftentimes these kids uh, really have these challenges with family and divorce and finances and mental health problems. Um, and so all these things sort of pile up. And we really believe that their sports coach could be that last line of defense or one of their defenses um, in, in being able to have like in a very important mentor in their in their lives. Um, and we really wanted to transform the, the space around sports because generally sports and, and kids has been a very controversial field in the aspect of you have those um, helicopter parents or those parent leagues that oftentimes, uh, you know, they come on board um, as a sports coach with the intention of like really supporting these kids, but not having those tools to connect with them in a, in a deeper level. And so it could look like, you know, the coach pacing up and down the field and yelling at the kids. Um, pulling kids out, favoring kids, sort of all these things that sort of hurt kids instead of using the power of sport for good. Um, and there are some really amazing, or there is really amazing things through physical activity and sports that can really support kids. So I was doing that for quite some time. And then towards the very end of that, um, I launched a, a program in partnership with the California, um, the state of California, where I wrote a grant where I saw that um, military veterans really could be an awesome aspect to our program. So, you know, for us, we had previously launched a pilot program um, in collaboration with ESPN, and uh, and we launched it in um, several of our cities across the nation. And we just wanted to see if what veterans could bring to the space for youth development could really help. There's an interesting article by CNN um, at the time that CNN had released in an article that 
kids um, in underserved communities had the same high rates of PTSD as veterans coming back from um, from war. And so for us, like being able to have someone who sort of experienced it from a different lens, connect with kids, sort of understand what kids are going through was a, a potential interest for us um, and two populations that might be able to support each other. So um, I wrote a grant to the state of California to fund um, about 40 combat veterans or, or 40 veterans, sorry, to come through programming. Um, and uh, we launched that several years ago, and we were able to train some of them and put them in schools, parks, and centers throughout Los Angeles. And what was really amazing was kind of a couple things. Um, one, we learned, or I learned, that um, there's a very um, big hole in the space of like uh, innovation around the veteran space and careers, right? So there's like very hands-on, skill-based stuff for for, uh, for veterans and careers. Um, and education in kids really was a gap. Um, and so that was really interesting to do that. Went to about 20 different career fairs in Los Angeles pitching our program, and we were one of the only people who were at these career fairs saying, you know what, the skills that you had in the service could really be applied to help kids in the next generation. And that was sort of a, an interesting insight to see their eyes sort of open up and be like, really? Like, I could work with kids? And I was like, of course you could, and we have the training to do that. And so it was a fellowship program for all these people for a year long, they came through, they got 50 hours of our youth development sport and, and mental health um, content and training. Um, and then they were uh, placed in these schools, parks and centers for a year long. And about six or eight months in, I got a call from one of our longtime partners, a uh, Los Angeles Boys and Girls Club would call us and said, you know what, having a veteran on staff has been life changing for us. We've been operating these programs in our center for quite some time. Um, and we're getting the opportunity to finally get some really amazing structure and connection with our kids that we haven't seen in 10 or 15 years of the club. So that was really cool. And that was my um that was my entry point into working with the veteran population, really getting to know some of the the challenges that we face here in Los Angeles. Um, and then, you know, MVP came along and uh, one of my friends uh, was at a networking event who had met uh, someone who had worked for MVP at the time, sort of heard about me and the work that I was doing around um, veterans and mental health and physical activity and kids um, and recommended me to uh, apply for this job. And so I applied for the executive director job, interviewed with the board, and I really loved um, what MVP stood for. Again, it's transferring some of these skills of like the benefits of physical activity and mental health and mentoring, right? Like we're just sort of transferring what I was learning in the youth space and um, and applying some new theories to what would it look like in the adult peer-to-peer -peer space and what is really here in the adult peer-to-peer -peer space with lacking? What are some models here that we can kind of like look for? Um, there's, you know, great groups like AA that's out there um, and some other folks are really doing some great work or long-time work in this space. Um, but particularly around very specific populations, what does that look like? And how can we apply some of the things that we learned in the youth development world um, to this population? Um, so that's my long story short of how I, you know, where I was and kind of how I got to merging got some players. I always appreciate when organizations say, okay, we're going to, one, include, and it sounds like even what you did both uh, at your previous position and now is include mental health and wellness as a foundational aspect. Um, there's this this idea, of course, of what people, when we say veteran mental health or mental health in general, and, you know, it's somebody, you know, laying on a couch. And, and, and maybe that's not necessarily a place that either, um, you know, urban youth or veterans are actually going to go, but packaging it in such a way that it's both beneficial to the veteran and the, um, and the youth. And, and then of course, uh, moving on to what MVP is doing. 
Um, it's presenting mental health in a new way. And, and I can see, as I was listening to you, of course, veterans are looking for some other way to continue their service after the military, whether they got out when they wanted to, when they didn't want to. They're looking for another mission. And it sounds like, and, and, and I know personally, that, that helping in the community is a significant benefit to veterans um, and them helping others helps themselves. Exactly. You know, and I think that, you know, for me and jumping into MVP and, and working with the veteran population, I've seen these similarities between like mental health, right? Like we're dealing with mental health and kids and, you know, the benefit of the, the youth development space is that's pretty innovative. There's some amazing stuff going around in the mental health world, particularly Nadine Burke, who just got, um, uh, put in as the first California Surgeon General, who's amazing, has a TED Talk around um, all of this stuff around childhood, uh, adverse childhood experiences, ACE scores, um, and a lot of this like sort of new um, mental health stuff coming up around from the 90s. And so she read a lot of research in the 90s about how kids in underserved communities could be on like a point scale um, and things like um, emotional abuse, uh, physical abuse, uh, divorce, you know, um, parents in prison, sort of all these things weigh on kids and it creates chronic stress over time, you know, just build up of one after another. Um, and when, and especially when kids are developing um, their, their brains and like the brain health, it has a lot of effect on cortisol levels and stress and things like that. And so, you know, it's a really interesting research that she's compiling and now creating these screening services across the state to say, hey, what does mental health for kids look like? And, and how can we screen for that um, in kids? And that's a really innovative approach. But also there's this really interesting stuff coming up. Um, in, in the Los Angeles space and then nationwide around what I call like trauma informed, um, uh, trauma informed health. And really that's this idea that, uh, folks, whether you're, um, a doctor or, uh, you're in the nonprofit space, um, being trained, um, and not to the deep clinical level of a mental health professional, but some light training around how, um, understanding toxic stress and trauma can really make you understand how to serve your beneficiaries better. And I think that, you know, for me, when I came into, to MVP, I saw what Jay and Nate were doing. It was so funny. We we're having this conversation and felt like we connected so well because both of them knew Jay knew from the former athlete stance, you know, being in the NFL journalism side of things for quite some time, really seeing these players coming out and struggling Nate, obviously, on both sides of the coin with um, being a Green Beret and then also on the Seahawks as a player, um, seeing both players and, and veterans returning home or transitioning and really struggling with, um, with mental health. And so you're going into this interesting conversation of now a lot of my expertise are with kids and now they're sort of forming into, uh, into adults later in life. And what does that look like? And are, is there mental health that's still sort of lingering? And, and what are some of these um, cross intersections? And so I just, I love this idea that they were using physical activity. And so I joked because Jay and Nate had said when I came in, they're like, oh, the physical activity part, it's like, it's kind of like, you know, Jacob, like the hook and it warms them up, but it's not a big deal. And I was like, no, there's amazing research and evidence right now coming out in the last eight years that physical activity is so important for your mental health and folks who are moving and who are, uh, you know, really making sure that their physical activity health uh, is in, in lock is really benefiting uh, their mental health, both like currently and later on in life. And so uh, we had these really amazing conversations about if they had designed the program in a different way where they had like, you know, our program set up where it's an hour of physical activity and then it goes into an hour of what we call the huddle where they talk about transitional challenges, that if they just simply flipped that model, it wouldn't work. Um, and it's just because there's something special about physical activity in the brain that allows you to open up and become vulnerable. 
No, there, it, that's absolutely true. And I mean, in, in, one of the things that I teach and in, in, with the veterans that I work with is just changing your body chemistry. One of those ways is with physical vigorous exercise. Um, and then if you address significantly emotional challenges, you just don't have the energy to, to, to be emotional as emotional about it. And it helps process those things more. Um, but, but even as you were going back and you were talking about the challenges that, that the urban youth were having, um, we know in the mental health space that um, adverse childhood experiences um, make us more vulnerable to uh, traumatic stress later on in life. And so this mm-hmm. idea of it, and I've said it often, is the military is as much a running away from something as it is running to something. Um, and, and while I'm not as much of an expert on professional athletes, uh, these are young men and women who, you know, may not, it, it, it's, you know, it's, they're not coming from the best backgrounds and they're sort of making it out of, of where they were um, and emerging into a totally different culture. And I can see the similarities between both um, the veterans and professional athletes. Um, I've often had these discussions, but I'd like to hear it from you um, it being, you know, an expert coming from the lens of merging veteran players. What is the unique similarities with um veterans leaving the military and professional athletes retiring from their sport. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when Nate and Jay had designed the program, they had really seen this connection between um, folks who have put their lives in the line or had worked in these high stress um, careers, uh, whether you're playing like on the field in some kind of sport or you're, you know, in the service and you're having to you know, obviously put your life on the line and, um, and, you know, getting, putting some time into that, maybe it's three, five, eight years, and then transitioning out and not getting the structure. And I think what's so interesting is, you know, um, connecting back to, to working with kids and then now working with adults is that generally everyone really likes structure. Like we like it. We like our nine to five. Sometimes you want a little bit of some difference in that, but ultimately everyone has some sort of routine. And so um, whether you, you know, join the service um, and, or, uh, you know, joined a football team, going to the NFL, no matter what, both of those sort of careers have some natural structure in place, which is really amazing. And so maybe beforehand you weren't getting as much structure from your family or school life or things like that. But these two like professions really, offer some really great structure and sort of not only just like general day-to-day routine structure, but um, a career pathway, right? From like an A to Z, um, being able to start from somewhere and being able to work your way up. And so um, there's this interesting idea just first and foremost about structure and just being able to offer that. The second is sort of this mentorship thing, right? So like whether folks in the service really did or did not enjoy, you know, the people that were above them in the higher ranks, there was potentially someone um, in the service or a coach or someone coaching staff that became one of those guiding mentors in your life, right? And um, and some folks afterwards during the transition do remain in contact with those people and some people don't, but there's this sort of guiding principles. You know, you're still relatively young, right, when you're joining the service um, and you're still pretty young when you're joining um, a professional sport, kind of like more in the, in the professional realm. Um, and you're still looking for that mentor um, because maybe you had a lot when you were growing up as a kid um, and then you have to make that sort of transition as an adult. And so there's a really interesting part about having both structure 
and having both a mentor, um, which is really important. And the third is physical activity. And so both of these um, professions do have a high level of being able to either be fit or be tested to get in somewhere, you know, this really interesting cross-section of boot camp versus like the NFL combine and, and, uh, and the draft and like being able to get to a certain level or extent of being able to be the highest level of physical activity and physical fitness as possible to operate, just simply be able to operate. So you're putting your body through so much stress to finally get over the cord um, and, you know, having to activate on that physical activity um, every single day, or, or at least like being able to have to keep that up as a part of your job, which is so important. And so, you know, this, this idea that you have like a mentor, you have structure, and then you have physical activity, um, which kind of cross-sections all of them. And it doesn't have to be just, you know, football, which Shay is very familiar with, um, but it is also, and we're looking at the USOC, former Olympic athletes, we're looking at the NHL, right? We're looking at all of these other kinds of sports and how it's the same kind of things happening over and over. Um, and, and so once these folks sort of come out, the other similarity, once you have all these three sort of guiding principles, is um, the lack thereof. Um, during the transition period and, and afterwards, honestly. And so, you know, whether it's the um, the NFL or the NHL or um, the MLS, like, you know, all of these great um, leagues, um, the transition programs are still something new, right? The, the NFL is probably one of the more, um, more recognized and probably more evolved. Uh, they've been with the NFLPA too, uh, for quite some time, both the NFLPA and the NFL have been really working on player transition for years at this point. A lot of the leagues are still uh, trying to figure out what does transition look like for our players, and even to the extent of the idea of like, where do our players live? And so um, during that transition period, you know, are they still sticking in the same um, city that they, you know, were playing for the LA Galaxy? Maybe they're still staying in, in Los Angeles or they played for the LA Kings and they're still in LA. Um, or do they decide to move somewhere else? And so that's a really interesting part to hone in on, on transition, particularly for athletes, because it's relatively similar with um, with veterans, right? So veterans are transitioning out. You get your orders. You have to go through your TAPS program. Maybe at that time you're listening. Sometimes you're not because you just want to see your family. You just want to go home um, and and reconnect. And so they're they're giving you all these resources kind of at a challenging time when you're just trying to like settle everything uh, and trying to figure out what the next steps are. And then, you know, just like that, they rip the sticker from your car. You can't be on base anymore. Um, and the transition is just suddenly very, very quick for some of these folks. And so, um, you know, the rug is sort of pulled out underneath you and transition programs sort of are relied upon either the nonprofit space or, or the VA right on the veteran side of things. Um, and again, the VA has been working. It's so funny. Um, one of the the folks that works um, within Jay's gym and Brick Performance, her dad served um, uh, in Korea in the Korean War, and she brought a pamphlet of of her dad and was like, "Look, like look at this pamphlet from the Korean War," and it's the exact same text and says, "How do we support our our veterans when they're transitioning out?" And so this isn't a common, or sorry, this isn't a new problem. It's just. Um, more and more challenges that we're sort of divvying up and trying to find out uh, more innovative solutions. So this intersection of just like, you know, one that in the veteran space transition is, has been happening for quite some time um, and we're still learning from it. And then the, there's like this new window of when players transition out and sort of what does transition look like and what resources are available to them. So there's there's like kind of the common experience of both getting into, you know, these high performance careers, uh, what it takes to, to maintain those high performance careers, and then this lack of support or this like need for innovation in the transition space. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And I can definitely see the parallels 
um, and, and even you know just how they're they're almost entirely equal. Uh, I often say that when you leave the military, that there's a lot of space in your life, and you have to figure out how to fill that space. And if you don't, then the space is going to be filled for you, likely with things that may not be beneficial for you. I can imagine that's probably the same way with professional athletes, having been in the spotlight, been on you know the top of the game, and been to the big show. And a year later, you're sitting on the couch watching it all. Exactly, 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 exactly. And and I think for for us, you know, it, it's it's both like a, a mental transition, but it's also physical too, right? Like when you transition out, um, you know, from both of these careers, there is a physical uh, sort of release of having to be constantly um, physically active, right? No one is on your shoulder anymore telling you you've got to work out. No one is telling you, um, you know, you have to keep up your physical shape in order to compete or be in the career or maintain status, like wherever you're at in that um, in that job. And so you're seeing this like mirrored look, right? If you picture someone in the mirror and it's like what you looked like five years ago in shape, and now suddenly five years later, you're not nearly as in shape. And what that has on the visual representation um, and, and your self-confidence and all these things is you're sort of looking at yourself what it was five years ago. And we see that oftentimes in, in people in our program is, we hear these conversations of both veterans and athletes coming through our doors being like, I used to be, you know, this physically in shape or, and, and there's sort of a shame in their voice too, of just like, I feel like I've let myself down. I feel like I've let myself go. I, I feel like, you know, I used to do these things and now I can't even do 20 pushups anymore. And I think that that's a um, really interesting sort of cross section because, you know, um, you never really think about physical activity and the physical change in your body as you're going through transition um, and how that has a toll on your self-confidence. Yeah, it, no, I can, <laughs> number one, actually uh, absolutely see that, um, even personally. I mean, I'd had, uh, in a previous show, I'd had a um, former therapist turned physical trainer, Stephanie Lincoln on the show. And we talk about that, about how, you know, you have these memes of, you know, when you're in the military, you look like the guy from 300 and when you're out of the military, you look like Nacho Libre, right? You know, and this, <laughs> this thing just kind of, and it goes on. But you also said that it was, um, the, the psychological transition. And, and this, this puts me in mind. I'm, I'm glad that you brought up Olympic athletes because it reminded me of, uh, several years ago, Michael Phelps came out and said, mm -hmm. um, how, how essentially suicidal. I mean, literally he said that he was sitting yep. in his room contemplating suicide after the 2012 Olympic games. And all of us are looking on the outside saying, no, this guy is the, you know, the, the winning, winningest Olympian in, in, you know, history, but yet he's still struggling with this. And he was very open about the fact that, that that's how critical it can be for, um, for, for athletes. And it's the same way for veterans. And I think that what's interesting is your way we think about the people who are involved in transition. But when you zoom out to the second layer of people, your family, your friends, your coaches, people you used to serve with, that's a whole other, that's a whole other population that does feel the waves of what happens with transition. And, you know, I'll give you a great example when, um, so Dan Quinn of the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons funded us, um, to open in Atlanta in December. And we went out there and, um, and had the opportunity to meet with him face to face and just thank him for his support and donation of helping us open up MVP Atlanta. And so as we're sitting there and we're talking to Dan Quinn, um, and we're sitting at this table in his office, uh, he tells us, he's like, you know what this table I, I use this for? And I was like, what, what do you use the table for? 
Um, and he was like, you know, we, I use this table. It's one of the hardest tables I use where I have to sit here and my player sits across from me. Um, and I have to tell them they're cut from the team. And as a coach, that's really, really hard for me because sometimes I don't know where they're going to go. And as much as I want to stay in contact with them, it's hard to manage both my current players and my former players. Um, and so really knowing that there is transition services for the players um, really helps me when I go through the cut process and having this conversation with the player, right? Like not that like, you know, these transition programs are going to be the silver bullet, but just knowing that there's going to be some extra support in addition to my staff currently that can help support them through a transition. And so, you know, we're feeling it on the coach level, on the veteran space, you're feeling it, you know, peer to peer, right? When someone transitions out and they get into a, a challenging or a dark place, uh, it's felt widespread in the community when someone says like, I, um, I'm feeling depressed or anxious or I don't feel like myself or in these sort of shock ways. And I think what's, what's interesting and one thing I've learned in the, in the veteran community is the shock waves are felt so much in social media, right? Like this connection of just like an alert of it goes out in social media and then everyone just rushes in to help out, which is both amazing, but then also creates this like second level of like uh, toxic stress and trauma of like, Oh no, we all have to like leap into to action. And so there's this, um, this interesting you know, um, second layer of support that we we at Emerging Vets Employers really try to sort of bring into the fold because we know that like peer to peer is amazing. It's great, and I think that's like one of your first um, uh, pillars of support going through these challenges. But you need that second support. It just takes more time to get there because vulnerability is several different layers, and to be, to be vulnerable with the person across from you who experienced something similar, um, and then being able to come to your family and, and tell them about the challenges you're going through, your coach. Or, or things like that's really important. So we're really sort of diving into this idea that like um, transition is just both about the person and then also sort of the second layer of people. No, that's a, that's entirely accurate, you know, with, um, and again, as you've worked with uh, MVP and you know that the, the support of the military spouses or the veteran spouses, and, and in many times, um, uh, their spouse didn't serve with them. So the, maybe they don't understand, right, what, what the veteran went through. Um, and so maybe they're, they're on a, another relationship afterwards, um, that, that that's very, it's critical and it's critical for the support. So, with in in that's a great understanding of the the basis and the reason and the similarities between the the veterans and the professional athletes. Um, specifically, you mentioned a little bit before about how merging vets and players has um, you know has the the workout and then the huddle. Um, if if a veteran in in one of the cities that uh, MVP is in goes into an MVP MVP event, what would they expect? Yeah, so I, you know, for us, um, when I came in as executive director a year and a half ago, talking to Nate and Jay, thinking strategically about what are the the core pro, um, program elements, like what are some things that you really enjoy, what are some things you want to keep consistent across, like every single chapter, right? And the first thing is you're going to experience structure um, and consistency. And so for folks who are experiencing, you know, a lot of things happening in their lives, whether maybe they're losing housing or they're going through a divorce or very stressful, challenging situations, you know that you'll show up every single Wednesday in Los Angeles or in, in Vegas, it's fr every Friday, and know that our staff are going to be there. They're going to welcome you with open arms. It's going to feel the same every single week to week. And so that was really important for Nate and I and Jay. It's just like making sure that there's consistency happening in a place um, and with people who feel like in their lives, there isn't a lot of consistency. And that builds off of safety and security, right? So, you know, for us, 
we want to make sure that you feel safe and you feel secure. And so when you walk into, um, you know, each of our gyms, you're going to get uh, our program staff. We're going to welcome you. Our trainers are fantastic. Um, all of our trainers in all four of our locations either have trained with UFC or Bellator um, or other um, fight clubs or um, are training to become. And so it's really great if you're getting some um, expert training for some of these folks um, and people who really care about these challenges. And, uh, and so you'll get some expert training and they also, these trainers really care about relationship building. So what's so fantastic for my last job is I was literally training these sports coaches to, to mentor these kids. And now what's great is I can apply that same principle to some of our trainers and in Los Angeles, um, a lot of our trainers have trained like um, guys in the NFL and uh, hockey players and some other things. You're getting some really cool training from some of these people. And, it's, and sometimes it's tough. And I think the best thing about having uh, trainers who are have a certain level of expectation and, and high levels of training is that if you do have a physical disability, we ask you, right? And I think that's one of our biggest principles um, that Jay and Nate and I decided on is we want to make sure that people feel comfortable when they walk in. And one thing is it can feel very intimidating, right? You're Maybe you're coming to the gym for the first time in like five or six or eight years, and it could be so terrifying to just walk into that space. And I think, one, we always just thank you. Thank you for getting on that bus. Thank you for getting in your car and fighting traffic. Thank you for being here. Like just recognizing, thank you for like just coming and being here and being part of this community. And then once you cross through those doors, it's how do we make you feel safe, right? And one way is the physical activity portion. And so our trainers will ask if you have a physical disability and maybe you did hurt your knee in the service or when you played sports, or maybe you didn't and you're just like not feeling up to par with the workout our trainers will pull you aside. They will, you know, do specific things. Maybe you're on the treadmill for a little bit. Um, maybe you're doing some push-ups. And some of our program staff will even work out alongside you, so you're not alone, right? And and I think that's also really important is making sure that when you step in, you don't feel alone and you feel as welcome and connected as as fast as possible. So you'll expect like either working out with like the larger group of folks, or if you kind of come in and you kind of want to ease into things, a lot of our trainers will um, design something special off to the side. And what we do see are people who start to feel comfortable. So maybe they're walking on the treadmill for 15 minutes and they look over and they're like, you know, that looks fun. I, I don't think it looks that bad. I'll jump in. And one of our trainers will transition and pull you out and, and partner you with someone. So that's like really important for us when you walk through our doors is just feeling comfortable and feeling safe. The other thing that we really pride ourselves on is building relationships in the physical activity part. So we want to see all kinds of elements in physical activity where we're building peer-to-peer -peer relationships. And that's really why, you know, we use uh, boxing and MMA. Um, it is like a very attractive, interesting skill building thing that we're using in our program and all of our different chapters. And so half of the room is doing some sort of like mixed martial arts stuff. Um, the other half of the room is doing generally conditioning stuff. And then we swap out. So why like boxing and MMA is really interesting to use in our, in our programming is you are punching with someone. And, you know, the point's not to punch someone in the face, right? We don't want people to get hurt. <laughs> we don't want to cause any of those challenges. It's just partner workouts, right? 
The other thing that's really interesting about using MMA and boxing in all of our gyms is this idea around gaining skills and skill competency. And so there's some really interesting um, work and evidence around uh, the trauma-informed practices and building a model around trauma-informed, which is skill building and competency. And so when you walk into our gym and you're learning this new skill for the first time and you finally get maybe the, the right hook or maybe you finally you know, get a certain move and you're really excited about it, it really elevates in other parts of your life. It's kind of like a ripple effect. And then you feel like, oh, I finally succeeded. And it's not just sort of in that, but uh, if you pull over to our conditioning side, maybe you finally got 20 push-ups, um, and you've been working on that for the last, you know, three or four MVP sessions that you feel so good about that achievement. And it carries you into potentially, okay, if I can do this right now, then maybe tomorrow when I go to work and I have to have this stressful feedback conversation with my boss, I can do that too, right? And we're just really wanting to build these like small wins to big wins. And some of that is skill building, which is really exciting. And so we that's our physical activity part. We try to partner and do some partner workouts um, and then we flip it um, and then everyone just breaks. And so you'll get like a, a conversation with some of the trainers, just thanking everyone to that they came out, um, that they had a great session. Uh, and then they'll, they'll shift into what we call the huddle. And so when they come into the huddle, um, we all sit start in the circle uh, on the mats and, you know, we're sweaty. And so all of those things is fine. I know a lot of people may not feel comfortable sweating next to their the person to their left and their right, but everyone is feeling the same thing. Um, and we, Jay and Nate generally open the circle in LA or our program staff or facilitators will open the program at the huddle, just explaining what MVP is, thanking people for coming. Um, and then we do intros. So we just intro anyone new who, who's here. And really the intro is, you know, uh, when did you serve? Um, what branch of service did you serve in? Um, or if you played sports, obviously, when did you play? What teams did you play for? Um, and it's really just a very baseline of just, we want to see your face. We want to welcome you to the community. We just want to say hi. And then Nate and Jay talk about the, the huddle as being a place of being able to be vulnerable and like offer out some of the stress or challenges you've had in the week, but also like to recognize people and some of their achievements. And that's great. It's a place to say the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Like I'll lay it on the table because we're here to listen. And the huddle is an open format style. And so, you know, we don't have certain themes in our pockets that we want to get across. Sometimes we will talk about uh, the challenges of anniversaries, both good anniversaries like birthdays or we want to celebrate, but then challenging anniversaries such as losing someone either in the service or in life in general, right? Maybe your grandfather just died and that's been a lot of weight on your family. And being able to sort of open up about those challenges is really important. And so, Sometimes you have some of those themes, 4th of July, the holidays, the holidays are really tough for some of our folks because family means different and, and some of our folks are still connected with their family and some of them aren't. And so, you know, for us, um, you know, making sure that the huddle is a safe place for you to be able to open up um, and have those conversations, uh, you know, face to face with your peers is really important. And we don't have any of that conversation leave the huddle. I think the last thing that they're going to experience um, is the sense of community and peer support. So once you do, if you open up and you're not required to, but if you do open up and you share about maybe your personal life or your successes, our peers are there and our, and our community is there to support you. So if you need a therapist or um, if you need connections to the VA, you need someone to talk to the NFLPA, we want to be 
that community that can connect you to the right places, right, and do that great referral service. Um, what we call, and you probably know this in the clinical world, it's called the warm handoff, right? We want to find someone we can kind of like warmly hand you off to um, that can help you go a little bit deeper or further in, in the services that you need to be connected to. So those are the guiding principles of our program and what you'll experience uh, week to week um, in all of our chapters across the U.S. So I, I'm I'm really amazed not just at merging vets and players, but merging physical health and and mental health, uh, because that's really what this is. I'm I'm listening to you, and of course, uh, you know, we're here in Colorado Springs. The um, uh, you know Olympic Center is here. We have a lot of athletes, um, and and so there's a physically fit community, uh, and so veterans will go to the gym, and then they'll go to a group right? In, for whatever reason, right? But they're two separate mm-hmm. things. They're not included in the same, you know, or or maybe a, a veteran that's sitting in a group and they're feeling uncomfortable would rather be in the gym. And maybe the guy in the gym needs to be in the, um, in the group, but it has to be, it has to be done separately. And the veteran, or, or in your case, the player um, needs to put that together themselves rather than having it all in one space. And, and, and it, it really, both the idea of your your psychological wellness is as important to us as your physical wellness, um, and both of those together will make for a better post-military or post-athletic career. Exactly. And, and you know, for, for us, this, this combination is backed in evidence and research, too, which is really exciting. I think that um, there's, like I've mentioned before, there's some really amazing stuff coming around physical activity and mental health and being in shape and reaching goals and like you know, doing all those amazing things. Um, and I think that that transitions so nicely into just getting some peer support. And so, you know, for us, it, it is like that um, sort of undercurrent that's happening around like our program. And I think that like Jay Nader originally said when I came on board last year, like the model is simple. But it's also so backed in such like just very simplistic complex or very simplistic things that um, simplicity sometimes actually is efficiency and innovative um, and all the things that maybe both of these communities were missing. Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. And, and, and as you said, I recognize as a clinician, um, you know, how important this is. And even as I said, something is, is, um, as simple as, you know, changing your body chemistry, physical exercise and exertion, um, can, can help you, you know, deal with emotions better. And having both of those right after each other is, is very critical. So I recognize that that clinical piece, but I also recognize the value to, um, to service members, you know, veterans coming from my side, um, you know, especially post nine 11 or current era veterans, uh, the Marine Corps martial arts program, the army combatives, this is the kind of stuff that we're doing is, uh, when I was in, um, you know, 10th special forces group, uh, in their support element right before I retired, um, we had a, a fight gym, you know, right behind my company. And, and this is where, you know, the special forces guys would go to practice their combatives and the, the different levels and stuff. And so it's also something familiar and, and then building that mastery. Um, it, it sounds in, in definitely from what I've heard, it is a great program. So you, right now you're only in certain areas though. Correct. So right now we're in Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Chicago, and Atlanta. Um, we're hoping to fundraise, and we started to fundraise for our New York location. We did a pop-up in October last year, which was great. We had the NFL commissioner come out, who really supports our, our mission, um, and we had some other folks come out. And so now we're just sort of fundraising to activate on 
um, on New York because, again, they have such a large veteran population and former athlete population there as well, with hopes to expand to even more locations like next year. And so for us, I think growth looks like kind of two promises, right? Um, one is making sure that's a steady growth. Um, and the second is that it's a growth that ensures program quality. And so when having these conversations with Nate and Jay last year, I was like, so when you're growing, like, what are what is really important to you? And they said, that, well, when someone walks into our places, into our program across the U.S., we want the same feeling. And so we really want to make sure that program quality and consistency is happening across the way. And so for us, you know, we've got a lot of people calling us saying, can you please come to uh, Indianapolis? Can you please come to Miami? You know, whatever it is. And every conversation I have with those people is, I promise we'll get there. But most importantly, we'll get there in the right way, because both of these populations have had so many services come through, offer the, the moon and the stars to them. And I don't want to be that. I want to be really uh, consistent and I want to offer the best for these people because they've done so much for, for folks in our country. And that's the best that we can come, right? Like I want to offer um, our best foot forward when we go into each of our cities. And so that's, uh, that's really important as you grow out to each of uh, the new cities in the, in the upcoming years. Yeah, that's amazing. And and so um, as we wrap up here, I wanted to give you an opportunity to um, maybe say some last words or, or make a couple of few points. Yeah, so, you know, for, for our program and where we're going and, and the exciting growth is, I think the first and foremost is our program is a place for you to become vulnerable, right? And And to be open to resources. And so if you are a combat veteran or a former athlete, and you're looking for that next step or that community, come check us out. Um, we promise we won't make you share like on the spot, right? I think our community understands that some people take a long time to share. We've got folks in our program who've been around for six, 12, almost two years at this point, and And they just um, are still trying to open up uh, and be able to voice, but we also recognize that it's so great just to be able to listen, listen and connect and understand that other people are going through similar challenges as you. And that's like, that's the most important thing. And so if you're like, you know, listening to this podcast today and you do know a combat veteran um, and you do, or you do know a former professional athlete who may want this program, um, please like, you know, it's free or every single week in, in each of our locations um, and please come out and check us out. And maybe you only stay for the fiscal activity part, but the second time you come, you stay for the huddle. And we're just there to, you know, we're there to welcome you in whatever space you, where you want to start. And that's where we want to meet you, right, is where you want to start. So that's the first. And and to clarify, too, we do on our website have the, the eligibility around a combat veteran. I think for us, it's generally the definition is combat zone, right? So uh, air, land, and sea. And, and if anyone gets confused about that, please reach out to us on our website because we will clarify. We want to really make sure that people understand kind of what that definition is. And the second thing is if you're not uh, wanting to be involved in our community, but you do want other combat veterans and former athletes to continue to get services from us, we obviously need donations. And so donations can be made through our website at vetsandplayers.org um, backslash donate. And so whatever way you want to support our program, we welcome it. We're so excited for this year and to continue to grow every single year because there's so many folks who, who need our program in transition. Um, and most importantly, we just want to make sure that people know that we've got their back. Yeah, that's that's absolutely outstanding and, and definitely um, a program that um, that is working. I often say that 
Um, there's maybe some differences between what we call the legacy veteran service organizations, um, which are the, you know, the VFW and the Legion, um, which are, are sort of providing a place for veterans to go, but the, the veteran being part of their organization is as important as what they're offering to the veteran. Whereas ver merging vets and players and other organizations like Team Rubicon and RWB and uh, the Travis Mannion Foundation, they're actually giving veterans what the veteran wants, right? So if, if a veteran doesn't want to go do, um, you know, a disaster recovery, but instead they want to go do physical fitness and, and they would not look at Team Rubicon versus uh, MVP. And there's, there's a lot of crossover, but, but I, I'm always encouraged by organizations that are providing veterans what they want and need. Rather than rather than requiring from veterans just their presence, exactly, and and I think that that's um, should be any approach for any nonprofit going into a community. Right, is you always want to listen to what the community needs and wants. You don't want to offer or assume what you think they need best, and that's really it goes for veterans. It goes for um, any kind of population we're trying to serve in the U.S. and internationally. And I think that was one thing I picked up in a lot of my education and, and in the field and all this experiences. The first thing you do is ask questions, get curious, and try to understand what do people really need and how can we meet them where they're at. Yeah, no, that's this is absolutely great, Jacob. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. If somebody wanted to reach out to you specifically or learn more about merging vets and players, how can they do that? Yeah, they can reach us um, through our website at vetsandplayers.org. Uh, and if anyone has questions about the program or just generally wants to connect with me, you can email me at jtoops, T-O-U-P as in Paul, S as in Sam, at vetsandplayers.org. I'll definitely make sure that's in the show notes. So thank you for coming on the show. Great. Thank you so much. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. A couple of times you heard Jacob mention Jay and Nate. He's talking about Jay Glazer, a sports writer and inside expert on the NFL and UFC, and Nate Boyer, former Green Beret and professional athlete who played for the Seattle Seahawks. Jake created Merging Vets and Players in 2015 to address the things that Jacob talked about in this episode, letting veterans and professional athletes know that they're not alone in their post-military or post-athletic career. Here's from the MVP website. By merging vets with players, these warriors can benefit from each other's strengths, experience, and abilities to unlock their full potential and lead their families, communities, and country towards a better future. Merging Vets and Players ensures these men and women know the challenge that they're facing are far more about who they are, warriors, than what they did in the military or on the field. In reality, that is a title that no one can ever take away from you. That's a great message. Transition is difficult from one profession to another, whether it's professional sports, law enforcement, or the military. Going from a culture of adrenaline, camaraderie, structure, and skill development and mastery can be challenging. Many are left with a bunch of questions. What's next? How do I do it? What if I screw it up? Programs like MVP are helping to answer those questions. If you're in a city with an MVP program, then check them out. If not, and you got a couple of grand in your pocket, then reach out to Jacob and the MVP team and talk about how to bring the program to your town. Thanks for taking the time to check us out. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash HST114. 
We're always looking for guests. You can drop me a line at info at veteranmentalhealth.com to recommend guests or go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash guest to fill out a suggestion or request. Once again, our thanks this month go to Given Hour and the campaign to change direction. Don't forget, we'll be joining them for a week to change direction from June 9th through June 15th. If you want to see how you can too, go to changedirection.org. A week to change direction will happen anywhere and everywhere people and organizations want to be part of this change. Given Hour will provide toolkits with suggestions and ideas for how you or your organization can participate in a week to change direction, or you can create your own. Just a reminder that the guests and information on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be considered to be professional advice. While I am a therapist, I'm not your therapist. If something you've heard makes you think that you could talk to somebody, then reach out to do so. I'd like to thank Doc Todd for giving us permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his album, Combat Medicine. Doc's trying to bring the discussion about veteran mental health out of the darkness, and you can see all of his work at therealdoctod.com. Make sure to join us next week for another great episode. Hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice so you don't miss it. And until then, remember, veterans, you're not alone. Ever. The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic tendency, embrace my ability
Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.